Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be in several different passages tonight, but we're going to start out in 1 Corinthians 6. Anybody a fan of fire in here? You guys like, okay, that's terrifying. That actually just scared me. Hey, fire is a good thing. Fire, if, when I think of a fireplace, anybody ever seen Little House on the Prairie? Yeah, yeah Little House on the Prairie. I think of, I, I don't, yep. When I think of a fire, I think of huddling around in the middle of a snowstorm, being warmed by the fire. Anybody like steak in here? Chicken? When I think, I think of some on a grill, grilling a nice steak, a nice piece of chicken. Anybody like mac and cheese? You can't have mac and cheese without warm noodles, so you got to have a fire. So there's some good things that fire does. Anybody in here what they call a pyro? A pyro is someone who is obsessed with fire. Shh, a little chatty tonight. So a pyro is someone who's obsessed with fire, right? There's good things like the grilling and cooking, but there's also good things like fireworks. But then you have the pyro crew. The pyro crew is just obsessed with fire, and they want fire at any cost and all cost, right? They want to like, hey, let's try this firework, and it, it points at you, but it's going to twist, and then I'll shoot one at this other guy, and like, it'll be an awesome time. It's like, you should not have any kind of lighter or fire near you. We got, those are the people that are burning down houses and having a little bit too much fun with something that is very deadly, right? Fire can burn you, especially used in the wrong way. When you are a pyro, you obsess over fire, and that becomes the main thing. As we have gone through our biblical sexuality series, we've learned that our sexuality, sex is a good thing. Fire is a good thing. But it becomes a bad thing when it becomes the main thing. A pyro's number one thing is fire. And unfortunately, our culture is obsessed, like I talked about last week, and is worshiping sexuality. That's not what we're called to do. We're not called to be obsessed with our sexuality. We're not supposed to be obsessed with our sexual desires. We've seen God's design for them. And what's God's design for it? A male and a female in marriage Within the boundaries, that's when sex happens. That's when those desires are fulfilled. We've seen God's design. We've seen man's distortion last week. We see how we've perverted our sexual desires. We've seen how they played out in pornography and transgenderism and homosexuality and lust and premarital sex. We see how it's been distorted. Tonight, we're going to go and see how we are to discern. How are we to respond to God's design and how we mess it up? Let's pray as we go before the Lord tonight. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to, get, to dive into your word. Lord, I thank you for the series uh, that we've been in and the, the wisdom we've gotten from your word. And I pray that your wor word would speak loud and clearly tonight. May we be sanctified through it. May we became, become more like you. And would we have confidence to walk in your word, to have confidence to, uh, to stand on your word and, and love other people uh, towards the gospel. God, I pray that you'd speak to us tonight. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. Our first point tonight is this. Flee sexual immorality with humility. Flee sexual immorality with humility. Let's read God's word. I'll start 
in, oh man, the, the wind blew my paper. Uh, we'll start in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that, with, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, but you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Guys, I was uh, trying to be a good Christian leader in high school, and I wanted to date a girl. So I thought to myself, what is the best way to ask this girl out that goes in a, that's part of my youth group? So you're going to get a, a humiliating story from me. So I'm thinking to myself, I need some help from one of my friends. So one of my friends, Tessa, she helped me out. I got a cookie cake from our own grocery store, uh, the one grocery store we had in Greenville called IGA. So I got a cookie cake, and I thought to myself, I'm going to write on this. Will you go out with me? And I'm going to hand it to her in the middle of Sunday school. So we, we don't go to a church. We didn't go to a church this size. So there's like 20, 30 of us in this, in this Sunday school. So I have my friend Tessa come in and hand me this cake, and I come and I give it to this girl. And on it says, will you go out with me, 2 Timothy 2.22. As 2 Timothy 2.22 on it, and it reads like this. So just imagine you're asking this girl out. It's just like a sweet moment, and this is the passage I, I put. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Uh, that is the verse I use to ask this girl out. On a cookie cake. So flee youthful passions. Hey, date me. We'll flee youthful passions together. Like, what? that makes no sense. That's a really weird way. To, so I encourage you, don't ask a girl out in that way. The cookie cake's a good idea, but just don't put that, that verse on there. But the verse rings true. Flee youthful passions. Flee sexual immorality, as it says in verse 18. As you remember, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, Pastor Rummage went through the book of 1 Corinthians and had a long series through it, and we learned a lot about the city of Corinth. And it was a really sexually depraved city. There was all kind of weird stuff happening in that city, and it was just a depraved culture that had just given them, had been given up in their sin. So we see this is the context in which Paul is writing here. But he's calling him, do, not, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That you should flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, it's important here when it says flee sexual immorality, but also with humility. I'll just say this to start off. Uh, there is a massive divide, and, and rightfully so with culture, but with the LGBTQ community and Christians, sorry, I get, I get tongue-tied on those, there's a separation, and there's a separation because for the for the longest time, you have Christians calling out that community while they still have sexual sin in their own life. It is really easy to slam dunk on, slam dunk on other people's sexual sin. It's really easy to slam dunk on people for their sin, but it's not so easy to deal with it yourself. And that divide has been created because we have just been really good at calling out people's sins, 
but we're not moving towards that person with love, but we're also in our own sexual sin. We have a lot of people that are dunking on people, but they're watching pornography behind closed doors. That people are having sex with their boyfriend and girlfriend behind closed doors, but I mean, they're real easy to, to call out people that are in a homosexual relationship. It's real easy for us to do that. This first point, as we discern how we walk faithfully in our sexuality in this world, is understanding that we have sexual sin in our life that we must flee from. We must take it seriously. It says, should the body of God be joined with the prostitute? Of course no. God cares about our purity and he cares about our sexuality. But we have to go about it in a humble way knowing that we are not above sin, that we are sinners just the same. That your pornography addiction is just as bad as a homosexual relationship. But sometimes we disconnect, oh, I'm just fooling around with my boyfriend and girlfriend, but at least I'm not uh, transgender. Hey, y'all are both in sin. You have to take your own sin seriously. Because the other side, when they hear that from you, and they see the hypocrisy in your life, they're never going to want to listen to you. They don't care about your Jesus because they, all they see is hypocrisy in you. Are you taking your own sin seriously? Are you putting it to death? Are you fleeing those youthful lusts? Or are you allowing them to come in? Are you building a, a culture for those to be around you at all times? That what you're looking at, what you're watching, what you're doing with your boyfriend and girlfriend, where you find yourself alone with them in a car. Oh, we're just watching a movie in our basement. Are you putting yourself in those situations? But we must see that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That when we are given to the Lord, that when we submitted ourselves and surrendered ourselves to Jesus as Lord and Savior... The Holy Spirit has come inside of us so that the very Spirit of God is within us. So we are called, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, uh, right here in 19 and 20, it says, Or do you not know that with your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. Your body is not meant for your pleasure and for your desire. It's meant for the honor and glory of God. So flee those youthful passions, flee sexual immorality. So this, we have to take it seriously ourselves because if we don't and we're hypocrites, the world will never listen to us. One of the things they say is uh, that at pastor conferences, that this is a, a, a story that was run a couple years ago, that a hotel came out and said, that hotel in which a lot of pastors and a lot of Christians were in that week, during that conference, there was a ton of pornography bought on the hotel TVs. Yet they're there and say, oh, we're at a Christian conference, we're at this pastor conference, yet they're hiding in their own sexual sin. If we are called to, to walk faithfully with the Lord, we have to kill the sexual sin in our life. Sex is a good thing, that desire is a good thing within the boundaries of marriage. When it's outside, we must put it to death. So that means putting it to death on your social media, on what you watch on Netflix, what you do with your boyfriend and girlfriend, what you allow culture to speak into you, and you begin to exploring and navigating new areas of sexual sin. We must put it to death. The second point tonight is this. We are called to stand on God's word with conviction. We are to stand on God's word with conviction. If you'll turn over to Romans, we'll be in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Some, some very familiar passages to us. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. As believers, we are to stand on God's word with conviction, that you are absolutely convinced that this is the truth. This is absolute truth. This is the word of God, and I'm going to live my life under the authority of it. We must be convinced and have the conviction that we stand on it. One thing we need to understand is that we are going to constantly have culture throw new ideas at us, right? You, like we were talking about last week. You have influencers on TikTok saying, hey, use these uh, neo-pronouns, and hey, this sexuality is okay. And you're just allowing that to influence you. If you are standing on God's word with conviction, you're not going to let your worldview be impacted by that. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. How, do you, how does that happen? You renew your mind through God's word. Many times we allow our minds to be renewed through the culture, through TikTok, through social media, through reels on Instagram. We allow other people to influence and renew our minds. So we say, oh, well, deconstruction and the church is bad and whatever you feel is your identity. And you can identify as whatever you want. And many people fall prey, especially in high school and going off to college, because guess what? People are convinced of their truth, right? Their truth. They're convinced of these. And when people sound convincing, when they're assured of what they're saying, we kind of fall prey to that because they're like, well, well, they're really sure. I'm not so sure, which is a call to action for us to be sure of what God's word has said. The last two sermons and then tonight's sermon will all be on Spotify. They'll all be on any podcast site that you listen to. Go back and listen to some of the passages. If you took it in your notes, go back and listen to some of the passages we went over when we talk about God's design and how man has distorted it. I want you to be sure of God's word. We see in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. That we believe God's word is his word, that the Bible is the very breathed out words of him. And if that is true, that we must place ourselves under the authority of the Bible. So if we're going to stand convinced of his word, we have to know his word and know that it's profitable. Like it's a good thing. This is not just something for your Sunday school teacher to, for you to learn on Sunday mornings and then you hear me blabber on for 30 minutes on Wednesday night. This is the very lifeline in which you renew your mind. You come to know the good news of Jesus dying for your sin. Like this is the thing that transforms your life, not only for eternity, but for right now. That we know that it's profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It doesn't say those four things so that you could bash other people upside the head with the Bible. That's not what that verse says. So that man of God may be equipped for every good work. Not to bash people down, but to teach them about God's word. To teach them about their need for Jesus and to tell them about Jesus and the salvation that he has and the life he has for them. It's profitable in all situations. For all situations, God's word is profitable. That's where we find our wisdom. That's where we find our guidance. And I've said this a million times to you all 
your beliefs inform your actions. Your beliefs inform your actions. If we want to be convinced of God's word, then our actions will show that. Are we convinced that we can't be convinced of God's word if we don't spend time in God's word? You can't tell someone about Jesus if you don't spend time with Jesus, right? Because you don't know what to say. We serve and witness out of the overflow of our active and flourishing relationship with Jesus. So our beliefs inform our actions. If we truly believe God's word is the best thing, our actions will show that we spend time in God's word. If our, act, if our beliefs say that biblical sexuality is between a male and a female within the, the, the parameters and boundaries of marriage, then our actions will show that. So that means that we won't be fooling around with our boyfriend and girlfriend. It means we won't be fooling around with different gender identities and different relationships or pornography, you name it. If, our, if we truly believe God's way and his design is better, our actions will show. It's the simple overflow. It's the simple overflow of what we believe. So what do you believe? Do you believe that God's word is enough? Do you believe his design is enough? Or do you think you want to take it in your hands and, and warp it and distort it to what you want it to be because your desires need to be met right now? I believe God's design is better for us. I believe it brings satisfaction because he's come to give life and life abundant, as John 10.10 says. So we must stand on God's word of conviction when it comes to sexual orientation and and our gender and and the way we use social media. And one of the ways that we are convinced of it is that we're not affirming it out to the world. We're not affirming it in, in general. Right? So when you see on social media, we talked about this a little bit in the, in the summer. When you see someone may, maybe have come out on social media or maybe you see that type of post, you don't like that post. Because your like is an affirmation of what is on there. Or maybe another thing, maybe uh, you're a guy or a girl and you're posting something on Instagram trying to reveal a little bit more about your body because you know you're going to get some more likes on that. As you are a friend, are you going to affirm that and say, hey, that's great. Give us more content like that. Hey, what you're doing is really honoring to the Lord. Your body is a temple. If we truly believe that, if we're convinced that our sexuality, our bodies are meant for our spouses and for the glory of God, then we're not going to be posting those things on social media. We're not going to be affirming people in their sexual sin, in their sin in general. If we are convinced of God's word, we must stand on it, and our actions will show it. Your beliefs inform your actions. My third point is to move towards people with God's heart. To move towards people with God's heart. You can turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Move towards people with God's heart. We are in the uh, disciplining stage with Noble. I know you guys see Noble and you're like, oh, he's just a sweet little boy, never does anything wrong. Well, homeboy, if you've heard him, has a yell on him. He has some, maybe he has my deep voice coming uh, up in a couple years, but he's got some lung capacity. And he is very impatient sometimes. So, you know, just the other morning we were getting him some milk and, you know, Brittany's like, I'm going to get you some milk. And she goes to the fridge and is opening the door, and Noble's just, milk, milk, milk. And he's just yelling. And it's like, she legitimately has the gallon of milk pouring into your cup, about to give it to you, and you're just being impatient. So in that moment, 
Do I come to Noble and just smack him upside the head and say, what crap are you doing? No. No. Maybe when he's 17 or I'm just kidding. Right now, so I look at him. I can't come to him in anger. A parent should never discipline in anger. They should discipline. So in that moment, I don't go over to Noble just white-knuckled, teeth-gritten. I go over to him knowing that he's, he's sinning, he's disobeying and being impatient. I go over there and I give him a nice little flick on his hand. And I grab his hands and I talk to him and say, Noble, we don't do that. We don't treat mom like that. We don't act like that. I'm doing it with a desire to discipline and teach him what is right. But I also am on his level. I'm not raising my voice. I'm not doing it out of anger. I'm doing it out of love because I want him to be a better human. I want him to be a, an obedient child. So in that moment, after I say, hey, say, say you're sorry, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. All right, give me a hug. I love you. I give him a hug, and we're good. In that moment, my desire is to see restoration. I want him to, to come on the, the, the other side and say, yeah, I was impatient in that moment. I need to be patient. But he knows that I care for him. Too often our culture, like I said at the beginning, we're really good at calling out people's sin, and we get really, we're really good at being angry at people's sin and angry at other people because they disagree with us. The story of the woman at the well, this is a, a famous passage that we've all probably heard a message on. Shoot, I probably have preached a message on this to y'all. In John chapter 4, we have Jesus coming back, and he's going through Samaria, uh, which the Jews and the Samaritans, they don't really get along that well. And he goes to this well, and at this well is the woman at the well. Can you imagine your name in Scripture is not like Jessica or Samantha, it's the woman at the well, that's what you're identified as. That's her name. So sorry, woman at the well. But the woman at the well, Jesus goes up to her. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So this was not a normal conversation, a normal situation for the Jews and Samaritans to be talking like this. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? So she asked a very practical question. You say you're going to give me living water. Dadgum, you ain't got nothing to pull water out of the well. How are you going to give me anything? Very practical question. What does Jesus say? How does he respond? He says this in verse 12. Are you, or she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as he did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give them, they will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She said that sounds pretty good. Sir, where do I get this water? Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come to here to draw water. So he's given this invitation. This is an imagery of him being the living water that once you come to know Jesus, you will never thirst again because he is satisfying your soul for eternity, but also for right now. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Imagine having this conversation 
with this random dude that you don't ever talk to because there's a Jew and a Samaritan, and he's just straight calling out the secret sexual sin in your life. Imagine this room right now. I said your name, and I called out the sexual sin that you committed last night, this last month. That would be pretty uncomfortable. Jesus calls it out right here. says, well, I know you don't have a husband because you've had five. You're not married to any of them, and the one you're living with right now is not your husband. That's pretty bold. And, you know, some of you guys are like shriveling. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, that would be awful. But what do we see here? In verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive, perceive that you are a prophet. You think so. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, said to her woman, believe me that the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So we see some dynamics that we can learn from in the way that Jesus has approached this woman at the well. She had been divorced five times, and she had been sleeping and living with a man that's not her husband. That's obviously sexual sin. We see male and female, one marriage within the boundaries. That's when you live with one another. There's no this, none of this cohabitating before marriage. It's you live with your husband or your wife. So we see Jesus approaches this woman that would be seen unclean in the Jewish eyes. He, he approaches this Samaritan woman. Our culture, the universal church, unfortunately for a long time has said, hey, those that are in sin, those that are living in sin, you take a step back from. God's word says you take a step towards. You don't take a step back from people in sin because we're, go, we're called to go and, and, and seek the lost as Christ does. We're to go and make disciples, to go and witness so that all might have an opportunity to come to know Jesus. So we see the number one thing is that Jesus moved towards sinners so that we are called to move towards sinners. That doesn't matter what sin they're struggling with. That we are not to back up because we ourselves are sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But we all need the gospel which saves us. So we see that he moves towards sinners. And we see that he recognizes the sin but does not affirm the sin. He recognizes the sin. Hey, I, you've had five husbands and you are living with a guy that's not your husband. He doesn't say, you're a terrible person. We'll see you later. Oh, you are unclean. I, I can't be around you. No, I'm out. He recognizes sin, but he doesn't affirm it. We've had one side of culture that says, man, you guys are terrible. You guys are the ones uh, that are sinning. You guys are just awful people. So we're not even going to come towards you. The other side, the other side of the pendulum is we have a lot of people moving towards those sinners, which is great. People that are stuck in sexual sin, but they're affirming the sin. They feel like, oh, if we affirm it, we've got to build a relationship and if I don't affirm, they'll never come to know Jesus. So there's two sides to it, and they're both wrong. But we see Jesus, he approaches the sinner. He recognizes the sin, but he doesn't affirm it. He calls it out. But he doesn't call it out and just leave it there and back up. What does he do? He offers her living water. He offers her an invitation for an eternity with him. That's our model. We move towards sinners. We don't... We don't affirm their sin. We acknowledge it, 
That's what we want to do with our friends. If our friend's acting like a fool in, in whatever context, we're going to kind of elbow them and say, stop that. Right? There's accountability. That's what we do in discipleship groups. When you're moving towards that person, you don't affirm it, but you acknowledge it. But you give them something better. What this culture has done, they've lifted up sexual desire, and they are now worshiping it, thinking it's the best thing ever. But what we do is say, hey, that's not the best thing ever. That's a good gift from God. Sex is a good gift from God, but it's not the greatest thing. Jesus is. So we approach them, we recognize it, don't affirm, but we give them something better. But there is a desire. God's heart shows that he moves towards people and he has compassion for them, but he has truth to give them. That we move compassionately towards people with God's word, standing convinced with humility because we know we are sinners. That we humbly and confidently approach sinners because we too were once sinners and are still sinners, but we've been saved by the blood of Jesus. We must never forget that when we're moving towards people because uh, when a lost person is looking at a Christian, they can sense the pride. They can sense the hypocrisy. So we must, we must stand on God's word. We must not affirm or play along with any uh, sexual ideologies. We don't affirm it. And what our, our stance was, if you're in that situation, do I use pronouns? Do I use their preferred names? You guys are probably all faced with a lot of that similar situations in your school. What, what do we see here? Doesn't affirm it. Doesn't affirm, hey, that's okay. I'll, I'll call you uh, by your sexual sin. No. So we're in those situations. We don't use those. We don't use those pronouns. We don't use those things. But what we must never forget is the love that we show them and we pursue the relationship. And there, there's a, a crowd of people that say, well, if you don't use their pronouns, if you don't abide by what they're saying, you're never going to have a relationship with them. Guys, our desire for a relationship must continue and continue and continue. We must serve and reach out to people, but we must never falter on God's word. And we must trust if a relationship is torn because they, we don't abide by their gender ideology, we must continue to pray and trust that the Holy Spirit can change hearts. Because at one point, someone might have thought you were too far gone for the gospel, but they continue to pray for you. There are people in your life that you might think are too far gone for the gospel, but you pray for them. No matter how many times you uh, affirm, say pronouns, you cannot change a person's heart. It is only the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is only the Holy Spirit quickening their hearts. We must trust that when we stand on God's word, though we may get bullied, Though we may get canceled, though we may get called a bigot and whatever type of name they can call us, we must stand on God's word with confidence and with humility that we're honoring God by the way we're treating our own bodies, but also leading others to do so as well. Uh, I, Brittany showed me this, this message this past week, one of our favorite pastors his name's Robbie Gallaty at, at Long Hollow Church in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. He's like 6'8", just yoked, and he's a great preacher. Uh, he shared this story, which I thought was very helpful. Uh, and it, it sounds like a preacher's story, but it's actually uh, a, a true story. There's a story of this man that was in Alaska. And he's in Alaska, and he uh, is about to fly home. He's, he's visiting a guy for business, one of his buddies. 
and he's about to jump on a plane back to his home. Well, his buddy is a pilot, and his buddy says, hey, how, I can take you to your next place. I'll save you money. Don't buy the commercial flight. Let me take you on my own personal plane, and it'll be a fun experience for us all, and you'll save money. It'll be great. And the guy was like, I, I don't know about that. I've already got the ticket. It'll be, it'll be fine. He goes, no, 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 I insist. It would be an honor for me. It would be a gift for me to you to be able to do that. After back and forth, back and forth, the guy finally uh, gives in. He finally gives in and says, okay, you can take me on the plane. So they go to the plane, and it's not this magnificent jet. It's a, it looks like a crop duster plane. It's not very big. It's not very glamorous. And he's like, okay, did I make a wrong decision? He's got his buddy with them and his, and his other guys flying the plane. So they get in the plane, and they are climb, and they start the climb. Four to five minutes in the climb, they're in the clouds. And he's kind of resting a little bit, taking a breath. He's okay, it's, it's all good. And his buddy driving the plane, flying the plane, looks at him and says, hey, just to let you know, sometimes when I fly through clouds, I pass out sometimes. It's not that big of a deal. Sometimes I pass out. And he's looking at him, he's like, Dad Gilman, are you serious right now? Like, you're about to tell me this. While we're driving through a cloud, you pass out sometimes. He goes, oh, I'm good, I'm good. So they go for a couple more minutes, and they're still in the cloud, and he looks over, and his pilot, out. He is passed out. And that guy looks back at the other one. He's like, I'm just going to wring his neck. We're going to die. We're going to die in this plane because this guy passed out. So what do they do? They, they've got the little radio right there. He grabs the radio and he's yelling, hey, hey, hey. And someone, a voice comes on the other line and says, you don't know pilot etiquette, do you? He goes, no, I'm about to die. I don't fly, by, fly planes. I need help. And he begins to tell him the situation, and his buddy convinced him, and they're in this plane, and he, he passed out, and he can't fly. He goes, hold on a second. And he says, a couple seconds later, he goes, okay, you can't see me, but I can see you. I can see you on my radar. I can see you on my radar, and you are four minutes from crashing in the side of a mountain. He's like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is really bad. And the voice comes over the radio and says, this is absolutely crucial. I need you to listen to every." thing I say. If I tell you to move this way, you move this way. If I tell you to move that way, you move that way. I need you to listen to my voice and only my voice. Yes. Okay, I'm about to die upside a mountain. I, I will listen to your voice. I will listen to what you do. And he, he listens and the voice over the radio begins to tell him and he steers clear of the mountain. And they, he steers him to this small little airport, this small little strip. You guys ever been on a plane before and you kind of like bounce one time and then you're down on he bounces seven times as he goes down onto that landing. And it's, uh, you know, he's like, I was going to die. And uh, the voice said, hey, thank you for listening to my voice. I appreciate it. You don't know how many times people don't listen to my voice and they end up dying because they hit a mountain or they die in a valley. The guy's like, oh, my goodness. And he's greeted by all of these police and rescue people. They stay, they're, they're still in Alaska that night. He's staying at a hotel. And all of a sudden, he gets a knock on the door. He's like, who is at my door? He opens the door, and, a, and the guy that opens his door and says, hello. And the guy in the room, he goes, that's the voice. You're the voice that was over the radio that saved me. And he's, he said, yes. I just wanted to come and tell you again, thank you for listening to my voice. Many die, but you listen to my voice. Thank you. Guys, I tell you that story because one day we will meet the voice behind the words of Scripture. 
one day we will meet the voice of God who has tried to steer us the right way through his word and through his design. Millions and millions and millions of people don't listen to that voice every day and millions of people die every day separated from God for eternity in hell. As we walk this life, y'all are 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds. you got 60 to 90 years left of your life. Are you going to walk in faithfulness? Are you going to discern the voice of God from this culture? Or are you going to allow the voices of culture to come in and begin to wreck your faith and begin to wreck the path that you're on? God has called us to walk faithfully with him, to honor him with our bodies. And I pray that through this, this series of God's design, man's distortion, and our discernment and how we walk faithfully, that God's word has been elevated, that it's been, been made plain to you and clear to you of how you are to walk, to walk in a pure way that honors him. But not only do you walk in a way that's according to his design, and you stay away from the distortion, but that leaves you in a humble place killing the sin in your life, but moving towards others that are stuck in sin with compassion and with God's word, that you are humble, convinced, and missional with God's word and what you have learned. Because what we have is so much better than what this world offers. Lord, I thank you for this series. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you uh, that we've been able to go over this really tough topic, that we've been able to to wrestle with these truths. And Lord, I pray for these students as they go back out into their schools. The, the, the battle and the fight is not right now. It's for them as they go back into their schools with people isolating them, kicking them out of friend groups, canceling them because they're standing on a biblical sexual ethic. God, I pray that you would give them strength and humility to stand strong in your name for your glory. But Lord, not only in the uh, homosexual sin and transgender, but Lord, I pray in the heterosexual sin, Lord, that we would flee from the youthful lust. Lord, that we would, you would break addictions to pornography, to premarital sex, to exchanging things over our phones we should not be exchanging. Lord, would you convict us of that tonight? And Lord, as we sit here, there are some of us that are guilty of those things. Lord, we stand condemned without your son, Jesus. Lord, I, I thank you that Scripture recognizes that we've all fallen short, but I thank you that Scripture recognizes that the free gift of God is eternal life that you give us in your son, Jesus, Lord. So for those that don't know you tonight, I pray that as they are convicted of their sin and maybe their sexual sin, they would see that you are better, that the way that you have designed finds fulfillment that is abundant, that is much better than anything this world can offer. And I pray during this time as we worship and magnify and glorify and lift your name up, Lord, that we would just be enthralled with your name. We would be enthralled with your design, that we would see these people in this room as allies, that we can work together to honor you and to reach our schools. Lord, give us wisdom in those moments when we're walking with someone who is stuck in sexual sin. Would you give us compassion for us to move towards them and not away from them? Would you give us wisdom to stand on your word and boldness to give them the truth of the living water that you offer? And Lord, would we do it humbly, knowing and recognizing our need for you every single day? 
Lord, I pray these last three weeks have helped prepare and form our students to go out and love people and reach Santa Fe and Deer Creek and Piedmont and Oklahoma City for your glory. And would we not join the body of God with the prostitute, but we would live in an honorable and honoring way to the design you've laid out for us. Would you give us self-control? Would we would you give us more of your spirit that we would be guided by? God, I thank you for your son Jesus, for his death and resurrection, that our sexual sin and any sin in our life is thrown upon the cross in his crucifixion. Now I thank you that he defeated death and is seated at your right hand. God, that we would see our sin, but Lord, we would see that you are much bigger, that when we repent and give it to you, you save us. And Lord, for those that are struggling with it right now, that they would see that struggling with it is not the sin, but it's when we act on it. Would you give us self-control and boldness and power and wisdom to live a life that honors you, both in our walk and both in our sexual ethic? Thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and would you sing?